Hi, I'm Matthew Viriapa, and this is No Cover. And this episode is Dr. Stevie Johnson, otherwise known as Dr. View. Dr. Johnson holds a doctorate in higher education administration from the University of Oklahoma, as well as being a hip-hop producer. He's currently based in Tulsa and is the manager of education and diversity outreach at the Woody Guthrie and Bob Dylan Center. He released an album in May titled Invisible Man, which takes its name from the book by acclaimed author Ralph Ellison. Building off Johnson's research on race, hip-hop, and education, this album has only become more and more timely. Throughout the following month of June, the country and media turned its focus towards not just race and policing, but also Tulsa. When I talked to him over Skype, it was only a few days after Juneteenth, and the first Trump campaign rally since March had taken place in Tulsa. We got to talking about the album, its relation to Ellison's book, his other work in Tulsa, and how he feels like he was picked by the ancestors of Tulsa's Black Wall Street. Also, this episode is going to have some explicit language. Man, I just talked to Fred, man. He down on Greenwood, man. I'm uh, Dr. Stevie Johnson. Uh, I go by Dr. View. Been a DJ for over 10 years now. Producer. Uh, I'm an educator. I have my PhD um, in higher ed administration from University of Oklahoma. I'm a community organizer. I oversee a hip-hop collective um, out of Oklahoma called the Space Program. Um, which I actually initiated from my dissertation, which was in the form of a, was a written dissertation, but also in the form of a hip-hop album as well. I'm also the one of the executive producers for uh, Final Africa, which is a compilation hip-hop album in commemoration of Greenwood, um, as well as um, discussing the 1921 Tulsa Race Massacre. Um, so I oversee the project that consists of a an album, a documentary, um, curriculum development. So the songs that make the album will be um, compiled into a curriculum that will be taught from middle school all the way up to uh, college level. Um, and then we have a podcast um, that we have as well, which is uh, 13 episodes in. I'm also the CEO of Invisible Records. Yeah, I mean, that's a little bit about me. I work for the I'm the manager of education and diversity outreach for the Woody Guthrie and Bob Dylan Center um, located here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I guess kind of at the heart of everything is really like, you know, the DJing and like the production. Like, how did you get started with uh, that kind of stuff? Yeah, um, I went to OU for undergrad. I mean, being, being at a predominantly white campus, it was kind of difficult to navigate the space. So I really found myself like obviously going to class but like not really being engaged in school um out like socially so um i just had some great friends and uh one of my best friends had a program called virtual dj on his laptop and i just kind of gravitated to it and uh taught myself how to use the software i didn't have turntables at the time um so literally like how DJing works is like you have like your cue points. So 
the the cues like let you know when you want to bring like a record in, like how you want to mix a song. All I had was a laptop uh, for two years because uh, I was just stacking my money to buy the equipment. Um, so for two years, I just memorized all of my cues. So normally you see like a DJ with headphones and he's listening to the next song. I actually had to memorize my songs because I didn't have a way to mix, like actually like listen beforehand. So, um, so that's how I got started in 2009. I'm from Texas. So that's where Dr. Yu comes into play. Like I'm from Longview, Texas. So we call it the view for short. So that's where Dr. Yu comes in. And so a lot of the students who were going to OU were from Texas. So I call myself a student of YouTube University. Um, and that's just kind of how I learned how to produce records. And the transition was actually easy. DJing helped, helped a lot with that. So like listening and looking at the crowd and just looking at what they wanted to hear, and that just kind of helped me as a DJ. And I kind of take the same approach when it comes to production. Uh, you know, I see Oklahoma as kind of like this melting pot where, you know, everybody kind of comes to the to epicenter of the of America and then like Oklahoma is right there. So I mean you have a little bit of everything. You have the South, you have West Coast, East Coast, you know, the Midwest. It's all coming to like the Bible belt of Oklahoma. And I just got to hear so many different genres of music and it just kind of helped shape and inspire like the type of sound that I try to create for my own music. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's how I got started in 2009. Not really engaged on campus at OU and the rest was history. Your latest release is a parentheses in and parentheses visible man, which is a taking the name from the Ralph Allison novel, invisible man. Um, but I actually heard that, you didn't read the book before you started like kind of producing this album? That is correct. That is correct. Um, so in the Invisible Man album was actually a social experiment to prepare for Final Africa. So I mentioned Final Africa is the compilation album that's coming out next year. We had over 50 artists all from Oklahoma, Tulsa, Lawton, and Oklahoma City. And Final Africa was inspired by Regina the Dreamers 3, which uh, J. Cole did in 2019, where over 150 artists came together and developed over 300 songs in 10 days. And so we did the same thing, but we only did it in five and we did 140 songs. And we were, we did that in March of this year, like literally right before COVID started like getting crazy. So, but you know, I'm a, I'm a planner. And I'm very type A, so I was like, I want to do something before we record, you know, in March, just to see how people engage with each other, like, in the studio. There's a lot of artists who, who are in, in Oklahoma, and you just don't know how, when you have a lot of people, like, how people will respond in the studio. So I was like, hey, I got some beats that I've made. I haven't released my own project. Um... So I was like, hey, let me let me put myself out on the line and see how people work. So I had beats already made. Um, I had an idea of the people that I wanted on the records. And so I invited them to Tulsa for two days and I believe in November 2019. And we recorded the project in two days. I just remember I was like, hey, this is all Oklahoma music. 
Oklahoma talent, Oklahoma production. When people think of Oklahoma music, I think like like from a bird's eye view, people just kind of laugh at it. Feel like they don't take us serious. And so I just started thinking about, you know, how can I, this album that I'm creating, what can I connect it to that is still Oklahoma, like bred and like speaks to how we feel when it comes to hip hop music in Oklahoma, but also like how the world sees us as well. And I just started thinking about concepts and uh, I mean, Ralph Ellison was, his teacher was a huge part of my research for my dissertation. And, you know, Ralph Ellison went to Douglas High School um, on the east side of Oklahoma City um, and talked a lot about how jazz music influenced, like, his writing. I think the first prominent mention of a jazz song is uh, Black and Blue by uh, Louis Armstrong. And he even uh, writes down some of the lyrics in the book. How would it end? Ain't got a friend. My only sin is in my skin. What did I do to be so black and blue? question that just kept, kept coming to my head was, how do I make the invisible visible? How do I make the invisible visible? From the lyrics to the to the production, to like the transitions from one song to the next, like how do we make the invisible visible? And so, yeah, that's all I gave like the artists. Um, and at the time I didn't read the book. Um, I actually didn't read it until after the album was mixed and mastered. Um, one, because I didn't want to be influenced by his words. I wanted to see organically if there was any like parallels of how I was trying to connect the art to the book. Um, and immediately once we got done, I, I started reading a book and this whole idea of making invisible music, I just felt like that's exactly what we were making. Like I wanted to be something where obviously like kids will be more susceptible to listen to music before they read, read a book. So I'm like, how can I develop art to where they are engaged with, like, when Southwest Dead says Invisible Man Rock Ellison, and they're like, yo, that's a catchy line. Well, who's he talking about? And for people to read, like, research, like, okay, Ralph Ellison, oh, he's from Oklahoma City. Oh, he went to Douglas. I went to Douglas High School. I never knew this history. And I think it's the same thing people are doing right now with the Tulsa Race Master. Like, Oh my gosh, I never knew this happened. Like from Oklahoma and I never knew this history. So indirectly I'm trying to like expose people to history, like black history, Oklahoma history that has been so like compressed um, that people like from a visual perspective can't can't see it or can't comprehend it. So for me it's like how do I make the invisible visible with the music? that's connected to the literacy that provides conversations where like, you know, people who work in education don't need to be working in silos anymore when it comes to hip hop artists. So yeah, that's, that's my whole approach. Like I'm an artist and that's something that I never really saw myself as 
until now um, because I, I was like, I don't rap, but I am an artist. I do, I, I do curate sound. I curate like stories. And so I understand like I'm not a traditional artist, but I'm trying to engage so many different sectors of life. And we're talking about things that, you know, teachers, parents, kids are having conversations about, but like how do we have it together? So yeah, that was the whole like purpose behind Invisible Man. Would you be able to go into a little bit more depth on Invisible Man? So the first track is called Invisible. I was very intentional about making that the first song because I know like if this was a major, if I was on a major label, that song would not even make the album. So Invisible Man is, it's a mashup between, I feel like a mother's child. Sometimes I feel a motherless child. It's just kind of like a, um, a black, gospel spiritual song and then it's it's mixed with I'm going up yonder so what Mari Ford who was the, the artist on the record what he was connecting was, um, you know, sometimes we feel so invisible, like being black in America. Sometimes people don't take us serious, like things we have to offer. Like I give the example, like, hey, I have a PhD and I've reached the highest level of education. And yet, like, I'm still viewed as, you know, someone who's going to, you know, provide harm to someone who doesn't look like me. And so he's like, you know, I feel like a mother's child, like no one cares for me, cares for us. So sometimes it gets to the point where, like, we don't even feel like being here, like on this on this earth. We'd rather go up yonder and be with God. first like five minutes of the album it's just it's just sound and i think that's the parallel like i'm trying to make with rap ellison so he stated in the book he discovered a new analytical way of listening to music the unheard sounds came through and each melodic line existed of itself stood out clearly from all the rest said its piece and waited patiently for the other voices to speak
the way I listen to the album is I will listen to the first track and I'm like, I'm going to pay attention to the violin and then I'm going to play it again. I'm going to listen to the piano. And so like we're, we're literally showing like or giving attention to the sounds of, of the record, which most of the times people are not even really conscious about, like, you know, what the sounds are. And I think it's a, a prime example because, I mean, when you think of Ralph Ellison and listen to jazz, like, a lot of jazz music doesn't have, like, words that go with it. So, it, like, the sounds are the words. I just wanted it to be a moment where people could get settled with the album, like, truly listen, like, listen before they hear any words. Yeah, uh, were there any kind of uh, other passages in the book that really stuck with you after finishing it? I probably butchered how he said it, but he said, I am illuminating the blackness of my invisibility and vice versa. And that, like, just struck a chord in me because, like, I'm... That's literally exactly what I was trying to do with the album. Like, I'm trying to illuminate, like, how proud I am to be Black in spite of what I see and experience every day. People that I know that experience, like, you know, family members who have been killed by law enforcement or, like, just racial violence that is that is happening just because of how we look. Um, when he when he when he said those words, that was like the core essence of what Invisible Man was trying to accomplish. Yeah, it was just really just connecting that to like what I know and what I've seen and experienced, primarily through, through COVID. Not to get too like deep in it, but it's it's crazy that you know COVID came and everybody was so like, yo, let's make sure that we're safe. Um, but once the you know economy started to suffer, it's like okay, we have we have to do something. And then those who were affected primarily were black and brown people. And so to see the parallel between COVID and the continue the continuing like anti-blackness uh, racism that we see, like I was like, you know, how can I create a project that's going to speak to how black people feel? Um, in this time, like in history. And I think that connects directly to that quote that I just mentioned from Ralph Ellison. Besides parallels with um, your latest album, like your research did a lot of, like your dissertation was a lot about that college and higher education experience. There's a significant portion in Invisible Man where he, the main character is trying to navigate you know, uh, his experiences through the the college education system. I mean, there's no coincidence that the, my dissertation around anti-blackness, like I was, again, making parallels because literature will say black males have the lowest retention graduation rates, that they're just not interested or academically engaged or not prepared for college. I'm like, you know, I have a responsibility to counteract those narratives. I connected the reason why, you know, black males are not being retained or graduating, not because they're not smart, it's because of the environment. When when black students can walk around campus and they hear or see a video of, you know, a frat, you know, a frat guy saying they'll never be 
another nigger in SAE, or they're walking around campus corner and they see somebody in blackface and nobody is, administration hasn't necessarily did anything to change like the racial campus environment. I mean, from a black student perspective, it's like, you know, why am I here? If you're not going to validate my experiences and how I feel, then why should I be here? So I just wanted to provide a space to where I could talk about these historically white institutions. And it's no coincidence, you see people trying to tear down statues across the world. And I'm like, you know, how do you think these colleges and universities were, were created? They were created by, you know, enslaved black people. Um, they were viewed as as property, as other than human. It's no coincidence that I was, my dissertation talked about how universities were created. You think of Harvard in 1636. You see the 60s, you know, integration, you know, Brown versus Board of Education, all these different things. It's no coincidence that we're still having these issues. Um, so I just wanted to want to just create access, um, access to where, like, again, I know People that look like me will probably listen to music before they pick up a book. Not all, but most. So, like, how do I make it, my dissertation accessible to parents and teachers and students who are aspiring to go to college who feel like, you know, college is the next step or I'm going to be successful if I go to college? But there's so many different intricate details that a lot of people don't tell you or people just don't know um, due to you know, lack of access. And these are all students who attended historically white institutions in the state of Oklahoma. And it encompassed um, current students, students who graduated or students who stopped out, uh, which I thought was very important to have the perspective of students who stopped out who didn't finish. And they also identified as artists, you know, rappers, activists, poets, graphic designers. And uh, we created a, a, an album. So, yeah, like it's. To me, like most people would be like, how did you do it? Like, but it's just, it's hip hop. That's what we do. We make something out of nothing. Like, that's, it, it just it just made sense to me. Everything I did in the dissertation, obviously that what spearheaded the space program. And now I'm in Tulsa, the final Africa. And it's the same type of work that I'm doing there. I say it to say, like, I'm not changing the type of music that I make. I've never sold a beat. I've genuinely been invested in the artists here. I haven't worked with anyone outside of Oklahoma. I'm just trying to show how how dope Oklahoma hip hop is. And if it just means me continuing being a sacrificial lamb and you know investing in the artists, then that's what I'll keep doing. But we have something special here for sure. Oh, I, I'll say this one. I actually say Cut Dead, Swish, and Sums 23. Cause it all uses the same sample. I just cut the tracks up. Cut dead. I mean, it was like the, the initial um, introduction to the album. Man, this gonna be epic, bro. Like. Like the soundtrack for the summer song. Everybody gonna be knocking this. Epic, bro. Epic. Left to my own devices, I disappear. 
when we aspire to figure out what the truth is, like the majority of the time our life is cut dead. Far too many minds closed for the truth. Justice failed Trayvon Martin the night he was killed. A verdict setting his killer free. Black boys are denied the right to be young. Dangerous, interchangeable, guilty into proven innocent, sophisticated thugs expendable. They are not invincible. Closed mindsets, invisible. Divisible from fearless dialogues. One nation, indivisible, ridicule with liberty and justice for some. I am invisible. I was never more hated than when I tried to be honest, to tell the truth. Truth is living when living is a lie. Living is truth, living is life. Living is love, living is life. What are you living for? I'm living for life. I'm living for truth. The truth is the light. Cut dead. View. 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 When I think about the massacre, a lot of people ask the question, well, why didn't people talk about this? Um, I think from the black perspective, I mean, you gotta think, people were actually like, like knocking on people's doors, asking if they knew about it. And what they did, they would were, they were be killed. So from the black perspective, it was like, yo, like, we can't talk about this. Like, we need to make sure that we survive. So I feel like because of their silence, we're able to speak. Came from the bottom to got him. Buckets to whip in the goblin. Niggas act like they the answer, but won't let it rain, that's a problem. Spitting dope at your sponsor. Dinner table with the mobsters. Eating greedy little tortellini like my baked ziti kind of posture. I'm saucing on niggas. Flossing my powers for hours. They think I went awesome on niggas. Chopper or hitcher. Then it's a core in the casket and reverend reciting the scripture. Lord Jesus, please save them. I'm as nice as he makes them. Sky high on your top 10 and a Mach 5 speed racing. Bench press, get your bars up. Got a bag full of stardust. I was in the kitchen watching niggas whip and work until it bubbled like a star crunch. Disregard if they aren't us. Me and mine get the seeing signs. Thorough nigga, you should be advised. Snitch and die, do the key in mind. I ain't never told that's a certain code that you chatty patties ain't abiding by. Hit the booth with a blank slate. Left the lab with a homicide. Out of town, still blowing gas and blowing bags at your promenade. Loose lips to the sink ships. Revolution, all that I'm a star, nigga, I'm a god. I can't give you a vibe that I ain't on If it's genuine, a trying time might make a trying song This is my favorite space to seldom put disguises on A bell rang like a xylophone and that light came on I saw the clouds part and dissipate Saw black excellence, prosperity proliferated I saw the distance to greatness eviscerated Everything I saw was love and I participated I wrote this rap like a mission statement. It came back to me like a happy birthday wish belated. Organized like ain't no miscellaneous. I let you play favorite sacrifices made for this. I pray they all pay off like afterlife was gave to this. I pray the details capture right when they taking flicks. Navigate the mazes, it's the magic making Mavericks. My people properly plated the dish and need they assist. I can't miss. That's, that's wisdom. That's crazy wisdom. So after his first, I just told my engineer, Jack Spade, like, yo, I'm going to go in there. I don't know what I'm going to say. I took, I did one take and then I didn't like it. And then I just pulled out my, my Bible app and just recited 23rd song. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they come.
I had to ground myself in my in my faith with the, with the album. All these different pieces, like I'm I'm about to experience like something that I've never experienced before. But he's telling me that he's going to be there with me throughout the entire you know experience. So I just wanted to provide comfort to myself. Like that was a, that was a me record. That was a selfish me record that I needed. But it also I felt like it was something that everyone else needed as well. And I'll give you a story that's connected to this. Um, I was back home with my mother and I woke up in a cold sweat. I was just writing some notes on my laptop. My mom's telling her about what I experienced. And I told her like some amazing things are happening in Oklahoma. My fear is that I'm not gonna be able to live to see it. And my mom said something that just just brought my word. It was one word, and it was posed as a question. And she said, and? What she was saying was that, like, hey, you've been called to do this work, and yes, like, I fear for your life, but as a mother, like, like you're, you're, in, a, you're in a space now that I can't necessarily control like, what's going to happen, and you can't either. All you can do is do what you've been called to do. And I wasn't expecting to hear that from my mom, but um, it gave me it gave me the, the inspiration that I needed to press forward. The American body carries the virus. Racism, bigotry, one-sidedness is synonymous. The residual racial cough is contagious. So what's the fuss? Because it's killing only us. Spread dead the American body. Spread through the American body, the plague. Meanwhile, black boys are killing each other waitingly, deliberately. It is sometimes advantageous to go unheard, to be unseen. Rewire brain chemicals, changing mental circuitry, shifting right and left brain symmetry, chemistry. They say we die by the gun in poverty, ignoring that internally we are suffering mentally, financially, struggling with PTSD, depression, and anxiety. It is built up anger and frustration, not only from us, but from the people who came before us. Yeah, like it's it's a hundred years and we're we're just tired. We're fed up. I think the world is starting to notice that. These protests, it's not by coincidence. Like we're fucking tired. We're tired of seeing the same things happen. There's been almost two thousand, you know, black people who've been killed by law enforcement. So which is insane to me. So our feelings, our perspectives have been so um, erased and silenced that we're just at a point where like we're ready to tell the world and tell it in a way that um, is historical, is factual, as well as art. And people have a hard time of balancing like those different elements are and, and the way I say it in regards to just Invisible Man too, like harmonizing those different elements. Most of my production is sampled, sample heavy, which has so many different layers as is on top of any drums or any different sense that I put on it. And then you have the artists. So trying to harmonize those different elements is very difficult. I mean, Riverside, that was a deal Sky Heron sample. Um, uh, it's called The Bottle, 1974. Uno, dos, tres, cuatro. Over there running scared. His old man in a bottle. 
you think of Riverside. Riverside has Steph Simon, who is primarily like, and I hate using these terms, but it just kind of helps with the message, like conscious rapper. Southwest Dez, which is primarily a trap artist. And then you have Paris Carriz, who is identifies as a Christian rapper. Christian rapper, a trap rapper, and a conscious rapper on the same record. But that's just what we do in Oklahoma. Like, we understand and we respect each other's artistry, and we understand how it all comes together, and it's, it's connected at the core. We're just we're just ready. We're ready for this moment. And, and that's the thing. Like, I've been constantly going to counseling because I'm trying to be present in the moment and not allow my ego to get in the way of what could truly transform not just Oklahoma hip hop, not even Oklahoma music, but the commerce and the retaining of our talent and the recruitment of other talent uh, to come to Oklahoma. Yeah, I just I just think we are in a good space and I just I understand the honored responsibility that I have. So I believe it's track number five, I think. It's called El Bostic. Uh, so I mentioned Invisible earlier uh, about just having the sounds there. 
Um, I was intentional about having uh, a saxophone being played. So Spunk, Spunk Adams, very known saxophone player in Oklahoma City, um, great friend. Uh, I actually made Open Eyes, which is the next record. I'd already made that record, and I just asked um, Spunk to do a solo before Open Eyes. So again, it was just like this connection that I was trying to make with Ralph Ellison. It, it gives you this, you know, I'm like walking like in a street, like a back alley. And like there's like a, a fire burning and like he's just playing his saxophone like around the fire and people can give him like, you know, coins. It was just like this feel. Those are things that he would probably see, like, in Harlem. Colonel Bostic was one of the well-known um, alto saxophone players um, from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Again, like I'm trying to connect Oklahoma history to the project. And then um, it goes into Open Eyes, which has Thomas Who, Tony Foster Jr., St. Dominic, and MC. And the sample is a, a saxophone-led sample by Gene Carn. And uh, it's a very soulful, like very spacey type of record, but it, it, it's a it's a very angry record in a sense. Pew, pew, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, Look up in the clouds, like yes. that was a loud flight. Okay. Even my edibles audible, uh -huh. that is a sound bite. Perfect vision, that surrounds, I identify until I found Christ. Yeah. Thomas isn't what he said, my nigga, that don't even sound right. I'm peddling melanin, what is a score to a nigga that settles it? Uh -huh. And Southerners getting a dick in they Dixie, I bust on Confederates. Go. Rebel spirit, I'm a rider. Yes. Post-traumatic stress survivor. If you don't understand your privilege, what? then take a look at Amber Geiger. Go. The reincarnation of both of them. I'm not the Nathaniel that Massa was hoping. I'm more like a shoot until caskets are closing. For every black body that scattered the ocean. Yikes. Perfect picture, Vincent Tomko. Oh. Nothing, everything that I know. Yes. Hard to think that I talk sweet when I hop round, hit your pie hole. Go. The shooter been shooting. Cam was a prophet. Trump is in office. Computers were Putin. But full of bots, you won't call it collusion I'm keeping the plot, they producing confusion Redeeming the nuisance wow. Maybe I am really woke, though Simple nigga with a third eye Catching every image that they don't show As I look around, I gotta ask myself What is the meaning of all this? They love us just as much as they can use us So what are we doing with all this? This, this is one of my favorite 
um, one of my favorite verses. Um, MC was the last artist to record. Uh, MC came by to listen to the album. Um, and as a side note, I wasn't planning to release Invisible Man until 2021. I, I felt like me coming into Tulsa, like I just needed to wait until after 2021, Fire After was released, um, and then drop it. But MC came to the studio, listened to the album, and said, hey, man, you're being selfish. And I was like, really? And he was like, yeah, man, we, we need this album out now. You know, we need it out. The world needs it out right now. Like, stop being selfish. And, you know, like, people have to know the type of person MC is because they'll, they'll hear that and be like, you know, how dare you call me selfish? But I knew it was coming from a place of love. And I think that goes back to, like, the difference between fans and communities. Like, a fan will say that, and you may take offense to it, but someone who's family or community you'll you'll see it as like someone holding me accountable for my responsibility that I have. And so I was like, yeah, I'm going to release it. And then he heard open eyes and says, I have, I have a verse for you. And he told me that I feel like this verse represents you if you could rap, because I don't rap. So yeah, it literally says, I can't even flex. This life is a test. I had to give it and give it to God so I could carry the rest. I can't even flex, this life is a test. I had to give it and give it to God just so I could carry the rest. You see, I'm wearing the crest, the name like hammer, but we never go into debt. Uh, we never wore in the stress. Nah, we never we're going, going for less. less. Less education and poison our brains into thinking that we ain't got jobs in the pan. Mm. The money that's stopping the hungry and starting the funding for things that we pray. So listen to plan. I'ma work while I lift up the man. Yeah. Sell a shirt till I'm gifting the grand. Yeah. Sell a verse to my kids on the land till every kid understand. Yeah. understand. That we gotta add and multiply. Only the money we hope divides. Only the chosen will open eyes. My faith um, in God is, is is very a critical thing for me right now. Um, and again, I go back just like. The spirituality and divine purpose um there i don't think it's a coincidence that i'm here like at this point in time in history that song for me truly epitomizes what the world is experiencing right now but also how we see ourselves and we see our own power and i think that's reflective of what happened on juneteenth when trump came to tulsa that we weren't even worried about the rally we're not worried about the system. We're gonna critique it, but we're not worried about it. We're worried about like how do we figure out how to sustain ourselves and be in communication with one another and share resources and ideas um, that ultimately like help transform our community. He says only the money we hope divides. Like money has always been the root of everything, like every demise that we've seen like in America. So how do we recognize that? and not be selfish and just do what we what we're capable of like invisible man is just a spark like it's not even scratching the surface invisible man you have 21 artists who record this project in two days and we're talking about these particular elements 
it's like, you know, what could we possibly create? We have the economic power and the space and the land and the time um, and the people in the right places uh, to truly transform, like, how we want to see the world. Down, even though I'm taking off and I'm a holy down, down. Hey, yo, it's easy how we run this shit. I just let it run its course. Used to have a couple mini me. Hi, just stepping in for a sec to let you know how you guys can support this podcast. So you can learn more about donating to KOSU at KOSU.org. But it would really help if you guys leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or a heart if you're listening on NPR One. All right, back to the interview. The best friend that I, I got the, the DJ software was from Tulsa. And uh, I told him I was moving here, and he was like, are you crazy? Why are you moving to Tulsa? And at first, I was, like, really frustrated with him. But then I had to recognize that, like, like I have to be remembered, like, he was conditioned in a way where Tulsa was, like, known for the first 48. Okay, Jimmy, you just want to hold right there. Hit the door. Third one. Come on out. Uh, literally, like Tulsa was on the first 48, like for so many seasons, and he all he knows is when we say the town, he's talking about you know that's talking about the town, like Northside, violence, all these different things. So I had to have a little level of grace and empathy because he's been conditioned in a certain way, and that's that's not necessarily the, the Tulsa that I see today. I will say again that it was never on the radar. I was at the right place at the right time. But man, there's just like this level of energy that I can't really describe. It's it's spiritual, it's divine. Um, It's as if, again, like I just feel like I've just been kind of picked from the ancestors of Black Wall Street to be here at this particular moment in history. And I just learned not necessarily to to ask questions, just more so just do what I've been called a purpose to do. And so like I tell a lot of people like, yeah, like you may visit Tulsa for the first time or Oklahoma and you may not see a lot of skyscrapers or we don't have as many like spots to like hang out or kick it, but like there's just this level of like love and hospitality and I guess idea-driven arts community that I've just been provided the, the space to create a lot of ideas that I, that I have in my head. I recognize that the artists run Oklahoma. We have, we have a way of looking at life. And we have a way of creating content and events and ideas and art in a way that translate the emotions and things that we're trying to convey. And uh, I think that's something that a lot of people haven't necessarily experienced. And, but I hope that the revolution of the new Black Wall Street is continuing to expand. And uh, yeah, I'm just grateful to be a part of it. Um, Cut Dead Always, no one, especially being a, a heterosexual male, you don't see too many people being that direct when it comes to these type of issues. Because we kill those who are not the same. Black gay become slain. 
Forced to choose between sexual identity, race, and visibility, or end up dead. Pray and support the LGBTQ plus community. Our silence allows others to fill the vacuum critically, to lead the debate in our absence, potentially. This is tragic. Hashtag Black Girl Magic. Black Girls Matter. Pushed out, over police and unprotected. Cut dead. This bullshit can't be accepted. Forced to master insecurities and pain. Taunted for their nappy roots. It's a paradox. Interplay of privilege and vulnerability leading to oppression. The re cahoots. Marginalized. Pay attention to the clues. They feel ugly on the outside. Never doubting their inner beauty. Beautiful cocoa brown skin. Thick braided locks. Gorgeous brown eyes. America, I count on my sisters. Despite your pretty for a black girl lies. Each night before bed, I count my sisters because of the bounty you put on their lives. Quiet strength. See them. Hear, affirm, and love on them. Because the human race makes us all kin. Despite our differences, we all face adverse childhood experiences. Hustle hard, but we are still the only face to face ace in the hood. Misunderstood. Black boys and girls are denied the right to be young. Dangerous, interchangeable, guilty into proven innocent, sophisticated thugs, expendable. We are not invincible. Closed mindsets, invisible. Divisible from fearless dialogues. One nation indivisible, ridicule with liberty and justice for some. We need to change the rules. Dominant white cultures and ideologies. Don't let them extinguish you. Let the fire burn within. Support black pride. That is commendable. We are not invisible. Cadet. A lot of times we focus so much on, you know, the black men who have been killed and murdered. And no one wants to give any space for the likes of Breonna Taylor and Sandra Bland and trans um, women. So it was really just saying, like, I'm trying to illuminate the blackness and the invisibility and the erasure of all of the black people that look like me. Me as a heterosexual cisgender male, like, I, I will never be free until my black woman or black trans woman who are the most disenfranchised, you know, people in my eyes. I guess to borrow some questions from your dissertation, you gave all, all the um, people who participated pseudonyms based off their like favorite hip hop artists. And you, you kind of posed this research question of kind of how do you theorize and disrupt anti-blackness in a hip hop album? And how do you make meaning and narratively express uh, understandings of freedom in a hip hop album? And by asking these questions, did you like come about an answer for yourself at all? first want to say I commend you for even looking up the dissertation. That was a lot of labor and uh, I was, I'm, I'm just really surprised how many people actually picked it up. In regards to the questions, I mean, I think it's evolving. I think those questions, I think I tried to answer those in the dissertation. Um, I'm not exactly sure if we answered the question. I think we just started the conversation. Um, and I think I, I recognize that those questions can't necessarily be just posed within the ivory tower of like colleges and universities. So I think the questions are being answered within the likes of Invisible Man uh, and Pride Little Africa and other projects I got coming down the pipeline. But I think we're, we're recognizing that um, this idea of communal education is not it's not um, limited to four walls and a teacher, you know, regurgitating information to like students. I think what I was trying to show with the dissertation is that just because I'm a leader or a project manager over, you know, 
this type of work that my first thing I have to do is listen. I have to listen to, I have to listen to those who normally don't get a chance to speak. And so I'll give you an example. Like when we were doing the dissertation, there were times in the studio as a producer, as a DJ, that I wanted to say something. But as a researcher, I would be, my, 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 my research would be valid if I was to, to say something at a particular time while things were happening in the studio. So there was times where like um, someone recorded something and it just wasn't right. And I wanted to say something, but I couldn't because it was a part of the research process. But what I learned is like I have to learn how to listen and engage and learn the, the perspectives of how people are thinking about, you know, what they're experiencing. I give another example. Um, it's Kobe Ryan, um, dope artist in, in the city from Lawton, but in the city, he was writing a song on the dissertation album called Polaroids. And it actually was inspired by the photographer who was a part of the research. So even before we got into the studio, I had people bring in artifacts and they represented their definition of freedom. What does freedom look like? Does it exist? So the photographer brought in a Polaroid camera and he said, the only time I ever feel free in America is when I take pictures. But he said, I also understand that my freedom is limited because with the Polaroid, yeah. um, there's always a white border around it. Look. I've been reading between the word and me. How being white is more of a state of mind and the way you think and being black is feeling like you ain't got the right to own your body. Shit so heavy when we fight it, look like we overcoming. Say, but hold up, wait. It's way two different things to overcompensate and give your life against Goliath hate. Superiority complex, where the class at? Teach how everything really happened. I be elaborate. Show me I was more than a slave and I just unpaid credit. The world's best economy and most indebted. The truth's so overwhelming, it could change you if you let it shit. Nowadays, just more like when a change wasn't directed. They taught Western philosophy. I listen to Tupac, they justify that cop that killed that man with like 22 shots. I grew up three hours from where Black Wall Street happened. All the way up through college, not taught in none of my classes. I was looking at these Polaroids and books I got these loans for. I ain't know about Black Wall Street till I was 24. But they ain't gotta tell the truth, you feel it in your court. How you even ask me, why do I feel paranoid? I'm looking at these Polaroids and books I got these loans for. Bitch, you what you want, yo, it's still a white border. Yeah. If you want the playing field level, you gotta fight for Jake. it. But be careful, they'll arrest you or take Bro, your life They place perimeters around me, trying to box me in blue-eyed professors love to doubt me. So he's, he's talking about like, yo, like, I got all this debt that I've accrued to get this degree. I get the degree and I may use it. I may not use it based upon my major. And yet I'm in corporate America, I'm 24 years old, and I just learned about Black Wall Street, which I only live an hour and a half away, two hours away. So what he's saying is like, yo, this is our identity crisis. Like, I should have known about this, like, when I was young. And yet I went through all of my college trajectory, K-12. So I think what I'm, what I'm getting to is 
we're trying to make, we, at, at the time we were trying to make sense of those experiences. Um, I think we just started an initial conversation. I think with uh, Invisible Man is that it's expanded to where it's not just students. Now we're talking about community. We're talking about real life experiences outside of the academy um, that is so connected to what we're seeing in the world right now. So yeah, to answer your question, like they're narrowly telling these stories and they're telling it so raw and uncensored. Um, and it's just like dialogue. You start a conversation and you start another one, you go back to the conversation. Um, and that's what they're doing. And uh, in regards to anti-blackness, like they're, they're combating it. All these things are connected to those dissertation questions. And I think it's just evolved over time. And we're starting to answer those questions in very intentional ways. I think uh, the favorite, my favorite part about your dissertation was uh, the testimonials because um, they were all really kind of, they were actually all really different in how they interpreted like what freedom meant. And these are things that are not normally done in dissertation. So I mean, from the listening sessions, studio sessions, like these methodological frameworks that people use, like these are things that were just created. But for me, it just made sense. Like this is what hip hop does. So I just got tired of like reading how people theorize hip hop. And I wanted to like actually like provide a product, being theorized in a way that's focused primarily on anti-blackness. I have to be honest with you, like, I um, almost quit the program. I started in 2015. I was working at the University of Central Oklahoma at the time, so I was commuting, you know, back and forth. Uh, year two of my program, 2017, I almost, like, literally quit because uh, when I approached my original chair at the time about doing a, a rap album dissertation, he was not for it. To the point where he resigned as my chair and was like, yo, you should look into other programs. Like, this is this is not for you. You should do like musicology or you know something else. So how it works, like I didn't have an advisor, and so no one's obligated to pick me up as a student. So for six months I didn't have a committee, which is most students have. It's just it's it's amazing that I just stayed true to Hip hop has always been there. Like when I go back to 2009, that was a moment where like, I don't know, I, I don't know if I want to be here. At home. And then DJing like, showed up. So hip hop has always like saved my life. The dissertation, man, it was the, the, the testimonies, uh, testimonials. I didn't want to tell their story, um, which is something that I've seen a lot in regards to dissertations. And I was like, hey, if you all would be willing to just write your thoughts about freedom, and these anti-black experiences you face, not just in college, but education as a whole, um, it'll help me to like crystallize like the value of, of your stories and how it's connected to this album that we're creating. Because what I tell a lot of people is like, you know, you're talking about how people are conditioned in higher education. Like, what about the K-12 experiences like that has affected them even when they step foot on the campus? So, um, yeah, those those testimonials were very important, and I I wouldn't have been able to write write them in the way that that I know that they would. Yeah, and it's it seems to me like it 
you were blending like the academic and hip hop mindset on either side, like when approaching this dissertation, but also like deciding to take a little bit more hands-off approach when producing like the album itself, like these, this is an album I'm producing, but these are also subjects that I'm like trying to observe and research. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, I, I wanted to take the label off of like it being research. I, like, and I told them, like, yo, you are my co-researcher. It's not like you aren't the subjects. So a lot of it was breaking down like, like power dynamics. Cause I wanted them to know, like, like the only way this becomes great is if we all come together. And even then, like, like Tulsa was never on the radar, but I, I, I think I was truly meant to be here particularly during this time of like the hundred year anniversary of the massacre and knowing what black wall street represents the fact that night that the, the black dollar circulated 19 times, like during the 1900s before it ever left the community, like, you know, the massacre happened in 1921 and then by 1935 it was rebuilt again with no insurance claims. Um, it, it, it shows me the value like the economic power and value that, that we had as a people, but also like the mindset of my success is connected to your success. And I didn't even realize, you know, what I was preparing for during my dissertation. I had those same values with the dissertation that my success is only dependent upon the people that I bring with me and be in conversation with literally all the people in my dissertation commit like subjects, subjects or you know co-researchers, like we're still cool. And some of them are part of the hip hop collective space program. So it's it's no coincidence that these things are all you know interconnected with the same values. And I think one thing I'm I'm also been thinking about a lot is like I don't necessarily want fans. Like as an artist, I don't want fans. I want I want community. I want um, an ecosystem. What about being in conversation with like community that happens to be fans, but at the core of community that are we're bouncing off ideas about like truly reimagining what you know Oklahoma could look like like moving forward. So like obviously I want to do music like on a very high level, and I think I can do that. Um, but I can only do it in community with the artists that are here. Like, yeah, it'd be great to produce for, you know, the likes of like J. Cole and Kendrick and, you know, others. But like, I, I see St. Dominic as the next, like, biggest star. Hakeem Olajuwon, Thomas Hu, Jacoby Ryan, DZ. Um, I see Think Progress as the next Gil Scott Herring. Like, Amari Ford is the next... You know, reincarnated William Grant still. So, like, I'm very intentional about the artists that I want to work with. And the only way hip hop in Oklahoma becomes what it is, is only when we come together. When I think of the question, what is the soundtrack of the Black Lives Matter movement? I can't think of any other place but Oklahoma. All these different things are connected to, like, what we see and experience every day. And that's what I'm committed to doing and creating. And once the music is not doing that, then I'll, I'll probably stop. You had those who participated in your dissertation listed under pseudonyms by their favorite artist. Um, what would your pseudonym be? 
How? It's a good question. Uh, it would either be one or two people, Quincy Jones or Roy Ayers. And I say that because, like, those are two of my favorite artists. I think, I mean, if you know Quincy and Roy, Roy Ayers, my sound is definitely influenced by them. When you hear, you know, Open Eyes, when you hear Riverside, when you hear Wright Brothers, 93 Rockets, The Horns, you hear even Squish, you hear the orchestra feel. Um, that's, that's Quincy Jones and Roy Ayers to a T. My life, my life, my life, my life in the sunshine. Everybody loves the sunshine. Sunshine. Are there any songs that you were listening to while you were making uh, this latest one, at least, uh, Invisible Man? Bobby Humphrey, um, there's a sample um, that I use from Bobby Humphrey for... Wright Brothers. It's called Harlem River Drive, which is connected to like the Harlem Renaissance, Ralph Ellison. Like if you if you go back and listen to the song, uh, Jacoby Ryan and Deezy as they're reciting their verses, the sample is a car trying to start. So it's actually a car trying to start, and it's me visually trying to connect, like, you know, day-to-day -day problems, like normal day problems that people have. Look. Hey, it's like drill. I'm a flight risk. Had to show right quick. They'll do it like this. Take risks. Niggas ain't afraid of shit. Know them niggas talk shit, but they don't do it like this. I'm hit. Nigga, I'm lit. Heard them niggas talk shit, but they don't do it like this, three fists, yeah. that would then sis. Know them niggas talking shit, but they don't do it like this. I say for the system, they say I ain't diplomatic. diplomatic. I say for the system, they thought I was democratic. democratic. I say for them parties, cause both of them symptomatic. symptomatic. I say for the system, cause all that shit's systematic. But you know how it go, they tell you that you don't know. So they can create a role that only they know how to hold. Nah, it's from the soul, be grateful, this from the soul. Cause if I came from my ego, I would treat you niggas like hoes. Since back in high school, autographs all in my notes. I suppose that that was just a soil for the rose. Young nigga, just keep it real. It's never comfortable to pose. Photographers show the photos. I'm like, yeah, them hoes. Yo, hey. When the same ones who started it on it now, I wonder how many people they started with still hold it down, especially through this propaganda inspiring us to doubt. This country try to hold us down, but we got fight to go around. Hey, it's like drill. I'm a flight risk. Had to show so just just trying to bring those elements like to the to the music is is definitely definitely there. So yeah, like all these all these records were were influenced by roughly the nineteen seventies, uh, like music maybe nineteen eighties, but um, yeah, those were definitely influenced by the album for sure. What was it about like some of those other artists like Quincy Jones that you really like and? Um kind of influenced your style of production? I'd say two things. One is just their foresight. It's just like, it always seems like they always had their pulse on like the music and they were willing to evolve. But like, it was still like 
Yeah. For me, it was like, how do I take an approach where it's it's my music, it's my it's my soul, it's it's how I it's how I see the world, but how can I interpret it in a way where and I'm just talking about sonically, not I'm not talking about lyric yet, but like sonically, it provides a crevice or a space where just for a split second or five seconds or ten seconds, it gives them it gives them the parallel to connect their emotions to the record, um, which is very difficult to do. But I think those are two things that Roy Ayers and Quincy Jones both do that anyone can listen to it, genuinely listen to it, and and come out with something like on the back end. So their approach is like very, it feels like very homey. It feels like a space where like I can, I can be comfortable can sit back, I can relax, I don't have to think um, too hard about things. And so for me, as an artist, like, it's my responsibility to, as a producer, to provide the landscape for the artist to be their best self. like meditations lately and one thing that I was given was like uh, be like your last breath for me it's like how can I be my last breath in my production to where the artist will recognize it and want to provide their best verse which is their last breath that's what I do but I, but that's also what I how I've been inspired by Quincy Jones and uh, and Roy Ayers and I will say I had people review the album and I had a particular scholar, uh, a hip hop scholar, um, who's well known in the field and not tooting my own horn, but that's, she literally said that, and I'm paraphrasing, if Dr. View, if, 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 if Invisible Man is any inclination to the, like Dr. View's trajectory, um, we're witnessing the next Quincy Jones of hip hop. So, when I saw that, I was like, okay, things are things are changing. But it goes back to me and my ego. Like, I'm really, I want people to, to understand that I will probably get a, a lot of credit for a lot of things, but as long as the work is getting done, like genuinely, I could care less if, if my name is on, on anything. So those are the reasons why I, I really enjoy Roy Ayers and uh, how many songs i guess did you guys make in that that two-day period the records that are on the album are the are the only records that we recorded we didn't record any other material that just didn't make the album so the only things that i provided to the artists was let's say for example hey uh matt i'm going to put you on this this record here's the beat the, the title of that album is called Invisible Man, um, and it's inspired by Ralph Ellison, who's from Oklahoma City, from Oklahoma, wrote this book. Go have fun with the record, and I'll see you during our two-day retreat. That's literally what happened. I gave them the beats probably a month, a month and a half in advance, and then they came in those two days and laid their parts down. The artists hadn't heard each other's verses until we actually got into the studio. 
So organically, everything just came together. Now, I did mention MC came later. Um, but other than that, like those two days, we recorded the project. And it was literally an organic experience. Like I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been able to guide them and say, this is the type of record that I want for this project. And I think that's the difference between like the Quincy Jones and the Rory Ayers, at least for me right now, like they, they wrote their music. I, I don't, I'm not a composer. I mean, I'm not a composer in the, in the sense of like, you know, writing music, but I create the sounds and then I give the artists the freedom to do what they choose with the record. So it's really like this, this level of trust. In my dissertation, I called it the, uh, the epistemology of listening. Um, like truly it's a sacred political act of trust between myself and whoever I'm working with just to, for me to, to know that I know that they're going to make, they're going to make the most out of this record because I know the type of person that they are, not an artist, know the type of person that they are. There were some edits here and there, but for the most part, man, it was, Hey, Thomas, who laid his tracks and Dominic laid his, Oh, there is a connection. That's crazy. It was it was just a beautiful, a beautiful experience as if like we were just all, you know, on the same wavelength at the same time. But literally we had no interactions other than me giving the beat prior to them coming to the studio. Yeah. And I'm guessing this is kind of the approach you took on uh, Fire in Little Africa, like later on. Absolutely. Absolutely. We um, we had. 12 producers out of the 50, 60 artists that we invited, they um, uh, submitted, I think, over 100 beats probably a month before we recorded the project. So the artists had the beats, had access to the beats beforehand. And we had six uh, recording spaces set up, um, both at the Greenwood Cultural Center and Skyline Mansion, which is formerly known as the Brady Mansion. Um, Brady was a KKK member. Um, now it's that um, mansion is owned by Fela Jones, who is a um, former football player, uh, NFL football player with the Dallas Cowboys. Um, but yeah, it's the same. It's the same model. Like I can't censor these artists. I can't provide structure. I mean, I could, but like it just takes away of like the true art, like the rawness, the mystique of the of the art. Like social media kind of took away the mystiqueness. TikTok took away like people's attention spans. And I'm just trying to get back to the space of like let's let's just get back to the art. Let's just create the art. Let's focus on the social issues that are affecting our community. It doesn't have to be all conscious. Like it's it can be some bangers. And I think that's the approach with like you know, like 93 Rockets. We're talking about stuff, <laughs> like genuinely talking about stuff. And But yet it's, it's, it's a record that you could play, like at a concert, you could play at a club. Southwest, baby. Yeah. In my own league, you, you can, can call, call it justice. Yeah. Open up the bag and you know it's real musty. Mashing on the gas and you know you can't touch me. I'm on the wave, baby. 
I'm in my BAD, why hate on me? Why Southwest D, Steph Curry, one three? When it comes to the fees, I'm excellent. Talent from God is heaven sent. Got hustle is mixed with some excellence. My back with the stuff with the medicine. She's sucking me just like a peppermint. A player, I drew with the letter. Invisible man, Ref Ellison. I'm sliding with all of the evidence. I'm saucy, your girl favorite condiment. A president, I do not politic. In my Southwest, you can call me justice. Open up the bag and you know it's real musty. Mashing on the gas and you know you can't touch it. I think that's what artists that even even like your, your Kendrick and your Cole still have like issues with uh, like bouncing like conscious like bars with like banging radio play music we just don't have access right now but once we do i think people will really be receptive to to what we have to say there's no major labels or you know offices like oklahoma you gotta you gotta go to la you gotta go to atlanta and we're saying like no like Come to Tulsa. Uh, we're here. We're not going anywhere. Like we're not moving. There's just too many things that are on the rise here. The sky is the limit for Oklahoma right now. And I know people can't see it, but like that's that's one thing I do appreciate about myself is the foresight. Like I can I can sense it. I can feel it. It may be five years, maybe ten years, maybe fifteen, twenty, but it's gonna happen. Yeah, we just we just need the access to create the art that we love and to, to make money off of it, like to live, to be ourselves, genuinely like have a better quality of life. Um, a lot of these artists are, are struggling. Like financially, like the money is not where it needs to be. And that's why a lot of people give, give it up. But I, I truly believe that something is on the rise um, access wise. Um, I can't really get into those details right now, but I definitely, Things are, things are happening for sure. Yeah, just like, you know, Ralph Ellison left to go to New York and plenty of, like, musicians in the past and recent years even have, like, you know, they go to L.A., they go to New York, they go to Nashville uh, to, to make more of a music career since it's a little bit more difficult to do everything from, from Oklahoma. I thought a Rolling Stone had an article saying that Tulsa may be the next Austin. I hated the article because... I, I, I appreciate Austin, like, wholeheartedly, but Tulsa is not Austin and vice versa. Like, and I think people need to be proud of just Oklahoma. Like, it's okay for Oklahoma to be Oklahoma. And I think when people see the music that we're creating and how we're creating it and the intentionality behind it, that should be enough for us to develop like this ecosystem but but yeah I, I i truly believe tulsa is the new tulsa oklahoma city is the new oklahoma city like oklahoma is the new oklahoma like i don't i'm tired of being compared to other places we're not them we won't ever be and we shouldn't want to be i enjoy the independence that we have here in oklahoma and i'm, I'm talking more so from the, the hip-hop like Artists, for the most part, know their rights. They know their value. They know their worth. They know their identity. And that's enough leverage for us to be able to engage in conversations about, like, how we move forward. And we don't need a, a yeah, a major deal would be amazing. But, like, what would we be giving up? Like, we hear so many crazy deals that, that happen in the industry. So 
Like we're very calculated. We have conversations. We bounce off ideas. Like, yo, is this a good move? Do you know this person? Like, we're truly looking out for each other. And like, I'm just, I'm just hoping that the industry will recognize the the same level of independence that I see from the artists and be willing to support us because I, I truly, truly believe that we have a lot to offer. I think if anything. Thing, like we're going to take the world by surprise and really slap them in the face and be like, yo, Oklahoma hip hop is the most slept on thing like in the world right now. I don't I don't I don't say those type of statements like a lot, but I truly believe in the amount of talent that we have here in the state. Thanks again to Dr. Stevie Johnson for taking the time out to talk to me. He has a live stream event planned later this fall, and you can go to KOSU for more information about him and the full song list for this episode. Somebody once said in this world it ain't nothing free. I used to believe him, now I tell him, look at me. Funny, that's even more of a reason to charge a fee, and you can bet I'm gonna show up in a hoodie, joggers, and sneaks. Waiting in the line in front of the pearly gates to a heaven of awareness where I can observe the snakes. I can observe the hate. I can observe a place where the puzzle you grew up in say you don't deserve a place. Out here worry about all of what we can do in outer space, but we in the mirror and we don't know who behind the face. I've been trying to draw what's hard to do if I don't trace because to an extent we all can choose our own fate. At the heart of the code is the specialist that we follow. Story of freedom like Exodus in the Bible. We just trying to talk to these messages in the bottle. Shout out to my nigga View that's a legend next to Serato. So easy to take for granted his best I hope that I don't. No Cover is a production of KOSU in the service of Oklahoma State University. Our editor is Ryan McCroy, and our cover art was created by Terry Ferris. Be sure to leave a rating or a review, and if you're listening on NPR One, please press heart. Thanks for listening. I'm Matthew Variapa.